Well, uh, good morning, Rock Hill. It is so good to be with you guys. I'm really excited to be here, filling in for Pastor Dean, sharing today's message. And um, if you don't know who I am, I'm Eric Hermitson, Director of Youth for Christ. Um, I'm married, my wife Mary here. We've been married for 18 years. We've met at a Youth for Christ event. And I got my son Jack, who's 15, going to be a sophomore at Lakeview Christian Academy, and my daughter Holly, who's going to be a junior at Duluth East. And um, that's our family. If you're not familiar with what Youth for Christ is, um, Youth for Christ is an organization, a mission organization to reach teenagers. That's what we do. And um, I transitioned from a campus pastor at Anchor Point in Lakeside to Youth for Christ as director. Um, And the reason is because it's obvious that there is really a growing need among young people today. Uh, The U.S. Surgeon General just declared youth mental health at a state of emergency. The CDC ranked Duluth, Minnesota as ninth in the country with the highest rate of depression of any other city in the United States. It's it's clear to see that there is a a growing need among young people, a, a, a need for purpose, for identity, for belonging, that you and I know only is found in Jesus Christ. One statistic, one statistic shows that young people, one-third of all young people have a trusted adult in their life. Um, another statistic, uh, 60% of young people aren't connected to a church in any way. And it, it seems like we're in a time, if you look at society, that is, it's dark, and it seems like a time when a, an entire generation could slip through the cracks And at times it can feel hopeless. But guys, we have a living hope. We have the living hope. We have Jesus Christ. In a dark world, we have light, the source of light. In a world where young people are hungry and thirsty, we have the bread of life. We have the living water. And that is the mission of Youth for Christ. We are on an urgent mission to reach lost young people. And our vision is to give every young person, every people group, an opportunity to make an informed decision to be a follower of Christ. And how we do that is by bringing together this generation, young people, to simply create a place of belonging for this generation, where we can create a family to invite others who don't know Jesus into and share our faith with them through relationships. And so that's why I have signed up to be the director of Youth for Christ because I believe it's a special and needed thing. And so, I, and, and so that's what, kind of what we've done. This year, we just kind of relaunched our ministry into a new direction. And so we have gathered a group of student leaders and we started at Duluth East and we have about uh, 12 to 15 different student leaders at Duluth East and we have started meeting in the school on Tuesdays at 10.45 in Mr. Rother's classroom and we meet to pray and do a Bible study and encourage each other how to love um, our school. And so our vision is that we would see student-led ministry started at Duluth East and Superior and Proctor and the Head of Lakes, wherever um, kids are found. And so would you pray for us as we do that, we also put on fun events. We just had our end-of-the-year beach bash where we had about 70 kids come down the park point, and we had a snowball fight, and we had a dance party where my daughter DJed. It was awesome. And um, we built sandcastles. It was just fun. And so um, that's what Youth for Christ is about. We're about fun, family, and faith. And so that's what we're telling the kids. We want to invite them into a relationship with God who loves you. And so 
Um, if you want to know more about Youth for Christ, go to our website, headoflakesyfc.com, or just follow us on our Instagram page, which is Duluth Area Campus Life. That's our ministry. And just get involved in any way. Prayer, financially, volunteering. That's Youth for Christ. And so um, I just wanted to share a little bit about myself and the ministry that I'm a part of. But then D- Dean asked me to come and share today's word, and so he let me just pick whatever I wanted to share. And so today we are actually in Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. So if you have your Bible or your version app, open up with me to Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through, actually 5. I'm going to stop at 5. And um, today what we're talking about is struggling with doubt. A very interesting section of scripture that sometimes we look over, but it's really impactful. So here's what it says. It says this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples, and he said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or or should we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Let's pray. Father, we believe that your word is alive and active, that it is powerful, that you have things that you can speak to us that can completely transform our lives and the lives of others, Lord. And so we just pray that you would speak. We open our hearts and our minds to you, Lord. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever struggled with doubt in your faith? Have you ever questioned, is Jesus really who he claims to be? If that's you, you're not alone. That's most of us. Doubt is a big part of our faith journey. No matter if you've been a Christian for four months or 40 years, all of us struggle with doubt. In fact, our doubt can be a tool that God uses to strengthen our faith. It was Tim Keller, the late Tim Keller, who said this about doubt. A faith without some doubt is like a human body with no antibodies in it. People who casually go through life too busy or indifferent to ask the hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she fails over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. Today we are talking about John the Baptist, a man that most of us know who had a very special role in ushering in the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. But yet, this great man of faith in the twilight of his ministry wrestled with doubts about who Christ is. Today Jesus shows us what we do when we struggle with doubt. And that's what we're looking at. But we, before we dive in here, I, I just want to kind of catch you up on where we are at in this section of Scripture since we're kind of just airdropping into Matthew chapter 
11. Today we are in the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew is one of the earliest accounts of the life of Jesus. It's about his life, it's about his death, it's about his resurrection. It's an eyewitness account from one of the the apostles, Matthew the tax collector. And what's obvious as you read through the book of Matthew is that Matthew is writing this book with one audience in mind, the Jewish people. An audience who've been waiting for this Messiah, which Messiah means anointed king to come. God has promised the Jewish people that at some point in your history there is going to be a promised king from the line of David who is going to deliver his people and will usher in a new kingdom that will never end. And what Matthew is doing, he's pointing, if you just look at the first three chapters of the book of Matthew, he's pointing to a lot of Old Testament prophecies, how Jesus is this promised Messiah. Yeah, if you just page through the first three chapters, you're going to see prophecy after prophecy from the Old Testament. Matthew starts with the genealogy of Jesus. He's, he points from that Jesus is from the line of Abraham, and it links to David, and it links to both Mary and Joseph. He shows that in the book of Matthew. He points to the virgin birth, how Jesus was born of a virgin, how Jesus was born in Bethlehem, all these things working together to show that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh. And then as you continue to read, you see Matthew pointing out this symbolism that Jesus is this new Moses, actually a greater Moses, like Moses, comes out of Egypt, passes through the waters of baptism in the Jordan River, then for 40 days enters into the wilderness and then goes up to the mountain to deliver his new teaching, his new covenant. And in chapters 4 through 7, that's what we see in Matthew, his most famous teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of heaven and his rescue plan for the world. And then in chapters 8 through 10 are stories about how Jesus is bringing in this new kingdom to people's lives. And we see eight stories of people who are hurting, who are broken, who are in danger, and how Jesus does miracles in the lives of desperate people. While throughout these stories, Jesus is calling us to follow him and pointing to the fact one can only experience the power and grace by only following him and becoming his disciple. And then in chapter 10, Jesus now sends his disciples. This is the first commissioning. He sends them, his disciples out and he gives them authority over um, unclean spirits to heal the sick, to proclaim the kingdom. And then Jesus tells them in the section in chapter 10, some are going to accept your message, but many will not, and you are going to face extreme persecution of me. This is, persecution is going to come from the religious leaders, It's going to come from the government. It's going to come from even your friends and family. And then where we pick things up today is in chapter 11, we see how people respond to the message of the kingdom of the Messiah. We see that many will receive Jesus. Some will be neutral to Jesus, and others will be offended by Jesus, even those that you might not expect, and that's where we pick it up in chapter 11, verse 1, where verse 1 says, when Jesus had finished instructing the 12, in, in chapter 10, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. 
And so verse 1, we're transitioning from teaching the disciples to now uh, uh, going out and teaching the people. And right away, we are met with an example of someone who played a very important role in the ministry of Jesus, who is now in the midst of the same persecution that he warned the disciples. Our old buddy, John the Baptist. Verse 2, we meet John the Baptist. Now when John the Baptist heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who's to come, or should we look for another? Here we're reintroduced to a man that we met back in Matthew chapter 3, a man who is totally an interesting fellow. We learn that John is this guy who spent his whole life as a rugged mountain man living in the, country, the countryside of Judea. This is between Jerusalem and the Dead Sea. And he's out there and he wears a camel, camel hair and a leather belt. And, and this is, they, they always tell us this because this, this, I guess, is what a prophet would wear. And so he's out in the desert wearing camel hair and a leather belt. It'd be just like if I were to say, John the Baptist wore a cowboy hat and cowboy boots. You would know, well, he's then a cowboy, right? I guess camel hair and, and a leather belt means prophet. And then we also learn that he ate locusts and, and wild honey, which I guess seems like it's weird, and he's weird. But I guess you can't knock it until you try it. You know, actually... I don't know if you've seen the, the new Jesus film, The Chosen. Um, it, it, I, I love it. It's so good. You've got to watch it. It has Peter referring to John as Creepy John, which, <laughs> which I absolutely love. It seems quite fitting for a prophet, <laughs> especially like John. But John the Baptist is one of the most well-known figures in all the Bible. And while John is known as the prophet... He is, in fact, the first prophet called by God since 400 years, like 400 years. The book of Malachi, last book in the Old Testament, last prophet, 400 years, John the Baptist. It's like this light came on, and God is doing something. And John's coming was foretold 700 years previous by another prophet in the book of Isaiah. Chapter 40, verses 3 through 5, a voice calling... The voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. So this is John's life, this is John's ministry, this is John's calling, this is what John was born to do. It says in Matthew 3 that people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea, the whole region of the Jordan, and they're confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And so this is John preparing the way for the Messiah. So here's this amazing man with an amazing ministry who had this amazing role in the history of the world. But in today's passage, John is in prison. He's in prison. Why is this rugged mountain man in prison? If you read further in Matthew chapter 14, you will see that John is in prison because he called out someone's sin. King Herod. King Herod, who ruled over the whole region, had committed a great sin, and it was obvious to everybody. He stole his brother Philip's wife, Herodias, and took her in marriage, and King Herod marries his own brother-in-law's wife, 
And no matter what culture you're from, like this is just all kinds of wrong. And so John feels like it's his duty to call out this sin. And so that's why he's in prison. And so there John sits. This wild mountain man, this amazing prophet who ushered in the Messiah is confined to this small, cold, damp prison cell with nothing to do but question. And so there John sits with his thoughts and his questions. And he looks back on his ministry and the current state. And there's this burning question that arises. And so he sends his disciples to Jesus with this one final question. What is this final question? Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for someone else? What? Wait, what? Excuse me? John, John's question, is Jesus the one who is to come or should we look for another? Why would he ask that? I thought John already figured this out. We all know that John has already acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah. He, in fact, when he baptizes Jesus, he hears the voice of God saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He sees the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. But yet, this great man with this great ministry now has great doubts. What is going on with John? Is John really struggling with doubt about who Jesus really is? Yes. It's plain to see that John is struggling with doubt. And some theologians might argue that, that John is not re- this is not real doubt, that this question might be a ploy to point his disciples into the ministry of Jesus. But if you look at this question at face value, it is a very genuine que- question Jesus treats it as a real question, and he, he tells them, go and tell John. This is not a ploy. John is struggling with doubt in his faith as Jesus, as the Messiah. What happened to John? We can imagine as John sits in his prison cell, beginning to ask himself some honest questions, what am I doing here? If my purpose was to prepare people for the Messiah, and if Jesus is supposed to be the Messiah, then why am I in prison when I could be out pointing people to his ministry? Other doubts arise. Is Jesus really the one? Did I make a misjudgment here? I thought my ministry and his ministry would look a lot different at this time. There were Obviously, some unmet expectations between God's hopes or John's hopes and the ministry of Jesus. And we can kind of see this in Scripture. We see John's expectations back in Matthew chapter 3. When John, his message as he preaches is a message of doom and judgment. Where where he says in in Matthew chapter 3, Repent, even now the axe is laid root to the tree. Every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Like, that's John's expectation of the Messiah. Maybe John's question is, when is Jesus going to start cutting down our enemies and throwing them in the fire? Why am I here? If Jesus really is the Messiah, when is he going to bring justice? 
He most likely expected a Messiah who would bring justice, judgments, and set the captives free. But now that the Messiah is here, there John sits, and he's a captive who needs to be set free. We can see that possibly John had some unmet expectations between what he thought Jesus' ministry was supposed to look like and what it is. And that's my first point. Unmet expectations of God can a lot of time lead to doubt. Have you ever had unmet expectations about God that if went unmet, it led to a crisis in doubt? You expected one thing of God, but it didn't work out the way you thought, and so now you're just doubting everything. Maybe you thought, man, if I'm faithful to God, if I go to church, if I tithe, he's going to bless me. But then you find that you're struggling to pay your bills and you're in a job that is unfulfilling. God, where are you? Or maybe one expectation is if I raise my kids right, if they go to church, if I pray with them every night, they're going to grow up to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, but now they're not following him at all. God, where are you? Unmet expectations of God can lead us to doubt. And this must cause us to examine ourselves today. What expectations do you have right now of God that if go unmet could cause you to throw your faith away or lead to a crisis of doubt? We a lot of times don't identify those things. And we can see this in really any relationship, our relationship with God or relationship with anybody. That when we expect one thing from someone, and they don't follow through with what we expect or we think they're supposed to do, we start to doubt everything about their love and their care for us. Isn't that true? Unmet expectations always lead to doubt. And so here's the big question. What should we do when we struggle with doubt, like John? John's first step is the best step. What does John do when he struggles with doubts? His first step is he goes to Jesus. John shows us the place where we are to go when we struggle with doubt. You go to Jesus. You are honest with him. You don't get embarrassed. You don't care about what anyone thinks about you. You go to Jesus. And if you're taking notes today, the first application point today is if you are struggling with doubt, go to Jesus. Be honest with him. Don't be embarrassed. Don't fake it till you make it. Let's be honest, this story is kind of embarrassing. Like we, we feel, I feel, felt embarrassed about John. John the Baptist is a hero of our faith, but yet the one he crowned king, he now has doubts about. I love, this is one of the many reasons I love the Bible. There's a lot of embarrassing stories about God's people. And how God uses imperfect people to accomplish his perfect will. The honesty of the story, this story shows us that the, the goal of the Gospels is not to maximize its social status of Christianity, but to tell the truth about Jesus. 
If I were chosen to write a story to convince you, the reader, about Jesus, that Jesus is the Savior of the world, I would most likely leave this one out and not share about how the guy who was supposed to point everyone to Jesus is now has his doubts. The Bible is honest. It's real. It speaks to us today, and it's honesty. It allows us to be honest and to learn how to deal with our struggles. That even the greatest men and women of God struggle with doubt and discouragement. And so, if you are struggling with doubt today, the first place that you are to go is Jesus. And so how does Jesus, as John goes to Jesus, deal with John's doubts? Let's read verse 4 and 5. And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. Jesus gives John two ways to be encouraged. While in turn, he's going to show us how we can deal with doubt in our lives as well. And so that's what we're going to see here. Jesus answers John's questions not by just saying, answering a simple question. Yeah, I'm the Messiah. Jesus knows the heart of man. He knows our heart. He knows a simple yes will not suffice for John in his moment of need. John needs proof. And the proof that Jesus points him to, to help him to overcome his doubt, is, notice this, the experience of others and the power of the word of God. We all need evidence that goes beyond our own personal experience. We need proof that can be confirmed through the testimony of others and the testimony of Scripture. And so if you're taking notes, the first application point was, if you're struggling with doubt, go to Jesus. The second one is this. If you're struggling with doubt, remember the work you have seen and heard God do in and around your life. Jesus says, go and tell John what you hear and what you see. What have you heard and seen God do in your personal life? The first acid test of the Messiah are his deeds and his results. What you hear and what you see. If you are struggling with doubts, your testimony about what you've heard and see Jesus do in your life is the greatest builder of faith when we are struggling with doubt. When you or anyone is struggling with doubt, share your faith story what you've seen and heard God do. Listen to the testimonies of others. Remember, remember what God has done. Whenever I personally am struggling with doubt, the first place that I go is my own personal testimony. Born and raised in Duluth, Minnesota. Parents got divorced when I was five. Mom really struggled with alcohol abuse and mental illness. And... I remember walking around downtown Duluth just feeling lost, unsure, anxious, not knowing what to do. And I met a friend in my neighborhood who I knew was a Christian, and we started hanging out, and I eventually asked him, how do I know that I'm right with God? And he said, you just got to believe. Faith alone. You're saved by faith alone. And so we prayed in an alley on 2nd Street and 10th Avenue, and he led me to the Lord. And I remember 
God removing this burden that I didn't know was there, this sin. I remember him removing my anxiety about my mother, and I started to go to church with him. And then as I started to go to church with him, I, I, I begged my mom, Mom, please come to church. You've got to come to church with me, please. And she started to come to church with me, and slowly I saw God transform her life. He delivered her from alcohol. He delivered her from, from her mental health issues. It was this thing where she was able to find a community where she can confess, and it was just God completely changed my mom's life. It was this mountain that I knew I could never move, but I saw God move. And he transformed her life. She's a different person than when she was then. Hear and see what the Lord has done. And you can even sense right now inside of you, as I share that story about how Jesus has moved in my life, you can feel your doubt meter, well, I guess go down, go down or something. But your faith is stronger. When you are struggling with doubt, hear and see what Jesus does in the lives of others. A couple days ago, I was talking to a a wonderful guy. We just totally clicked, and he shared with me how at one time in his life, he was addicted to opioids, painkillers, and was living in abandoned houses in Philadelphia for 20 years. Like, just strung out for 20 years. But one day... He heard the gospel, and Jesus transformed his life. And I would have never guessed that was his story. The bottom line is broken people meet Jesus and are transformed. When you are struggling with unmet expectations and doubts, remember what you've heard and seen Jesus do in and around your life. That is what Jesus is pointing John to. Tell others what you hear and see Jesus doing. And it will strengthen your faith and it will strengthen the faith of others. The third thing that Jesus encourages John with in overcoming his doubts as Jesus turns him to Scripture and the promise of the Word of God. We know that Scripture is so powerful and so we must do the same when we struggle with doubt. So the first thing, if you're struggling with doubt today, number one, Go to Jesus. Number two, remember what you've heard and seen. And number three, force yourself to get in the word. And so if you're taking notes, a third point is if you're struggling with doubt, turn to scripture. It is the evidence of things hoped for. Let me read verse four and five one more time. And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. And then verse five, the blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. John the Baptist is a man who knows Scripture. He knows the Old Testament. And so Jesus points John to one of his favorite books, the book of Isaiah. There is no other book that John quoted more than the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 35, Jesus is quoting in verse 5. Isaiah 35, 5 through 6, it says this, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongues of the mute sing for joy. And then Jesus adds something at the end of this section that's not in Isaiah. And the dead are raised. 
This is not part of the Old Testament prophecy. Jesus is pointing to the fact and showing them that things are better than you even expected. And then another section that Jesus quotes is from Isaiah 61, verse 1, about the Messiah's care for the poor, which was actually super unique. I will read this, Isaiah 61, 1. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to open the prison to those who are bound. Jesus wants John to know the poor have good news preached to them. Like I said, normally religious leaders often cared only for the wealthy, the upper class, to share their teachings with because they were the people of influence. But not Jesus. Jesus stayed with the crowd, never abandoned the poor. And so Jesus answers John's doubts by pointing to the acts that he's doing, that he's fulfilling these these prophecies from 700 years ago, that he's healing the blind, the lame, the deaf, curing leopards, lepers, not leopards. I always thought as a kid it was leopards. And I'm like, that is random, Jesus. There's a big leopard problem. (laughs) So Jesus, he points to the evidence that he's fulfilling all of these prophecies and, and the identity of Jesus is undeniable. It's undeniable. So today, if you have doubts in your faith or about who Jesus is or about your salvation or the forgiveness of your sins or God's work in your life, look to the evidence of Scripture and the changes that it's made in your life. You are a different person At least you should be a different person today than you were two years ago. When in doubt, don't turn away from Christ like we're tempted to do. Turn towards him. Remember what you've seen and what you've heard. And we don't always know why God sometimes allows bad things to happen to us or our unmet expectations, why they go unmet. But we do have enough evidence to know that God loves you so much in such a way that he sent his only son to die for you. The fact that God is love, it's his nature, and this God of love who is love, this all-knowing, all-powerful God can't act in any other way but love. And we can know that God is in control and he deeply cares for you and about your life. You can know that today. And so, when you are struggling with doubt, number one, go to Jesus and wrestle with it. Number two, remember what you've heard and seen Jesus doing in and around your life. And number three, turn to Scripture. Remind yourself of the evidence that Jesus is, without a doubt, the way, the truth, and the life. There is nobody who could fulfill these prophecies and do these works, and there's nobody else that we'd be talking about some 2,000 years that lived 2,000 years ago every week and not getting old. It's not getting old. Like, it's just alive, and it's beautiful. And so I just want to close with this quote from Oz Guinness, a theologian, who says this about doubt. 
He says, doubt is not the opposite of faith, nor is it the same as unbelief. Doubt is a state of mind in suspension between faith and unbelief. And so we should never be too hard on ourselves for having doubts. Too many prophets, too many psalmists struggled with doubts and they were honest with their feelings and it allows us to be honest as we watch them be honest. And yet as we struggle and overcome our doubts, God uses that as a tool to grow us. And like we see today, Jesus is tender with doubters like John the Baptist, like doubting Thomas, like me, like you. Nonetheless, Jesus is always ministering to our doubts and nudges us back to a secure faith when we remember what he's already done for us in and around our lives and through the word of his testimony. Let's pray. And the worship team can come forward. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and just how we always are learning new things and how we can see through the life of you. (laughs) We can see through the life of God in the flesh the invisible God becoming visible and showing us how to live out this faith as others of faith struggle to live out this faith. God, we thank you and I pray for, for anybody in here today who is in a moment and a season where they're just struggling. They thought life was going to go one way and there's some unmet expectations and so there's this bitterness and there's anger and it's, it's just so deep and it's just, it hasn't even been recognized till now. Father God, I pray that you would reveal through your Holy Spirit what I'm talking about. Show us, all of us, what are the expectations that we have of you that have gone unmet, that has caused us to doubt you? Would you show us, Father? And would you help us to be honest with you, to come to you? We thank you, God, that you are gentle, that you're mild, that you're humble, Lord God, that you laid down your life, that you came in the form of a servant to serve us, to show us how to live and to show us that there is always open arms for the prodigal son. There's always a father who's waiting for us.